interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin. River Radio has arrived. Beautiful. Tell your friends. But don't forget to wear your mask. That's right. <laughs> now to continue with the tape recording. Morning, everybody. This is Rani Singh with new title of this show, The Missing Question. This is hit, this is Rani on River Radio, and today's guest is Suzanne Guest. Hi, Suzanne. Suzanne Guest, our, our star guest today. Hi, Suzanne. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. You're, I call you the smiling psychologist, and we'll find out in a, in a bit as to why. Suzanne, you have chosen the first uh, track for us today. Um, and just to complete the intros, I've got Sam Setti, MD of River Radio, uh, producing today. But you are a registered psychologist, registered being important. And you're going to talk to us today about how you work with people with brain injury and give us your take, your quirky take on everyday life. Um, so, a smiling psychologist, why? Um, <laughs> well, we was talking about Ajay last week and all Ajay his Patel, the mar- Yeah, the marathon runner. Yeah, he'd, be, he'd been running marathons. Um, and we came up with my superpower was smiling. So, I reckon you stick me in a car for 26 miles. I could smile all the way. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to smile. It makes you feel better. It does. So can you smile, smile us into the first track, please? Certainly, yeah. So my first track is Rio by Duran Duran. And um, the reason that I've chosen it is that I should have been seeing Duran Duran a couple of weeks ago, and sadly the event was postponed due to COVID. So Rio is usually the encore song. So thought so we'd start with something happy. Excellent. And uh, we've got Simon Le Bon in common, haven't we, here? But we'll talk about that afterwards. Yeah, I'm a little bit bitter. we 
Duran Duran, the gorgeous Simon Le Bon, who we have in common. And Suzanne, my smiling psychologist, is going to tell us all about it. Suzanne, um, you you have a connection with Duran Duran, don't you? Only that I've been a, a kind of lifelong fan. So my first gig that I ever went to at Manchester Apollo was a Duran Duran gig. It was probably about 13 or 14, something like that. Um, I have this memory of jumping on the chairs and as of those springy chairs, as I jumped up, the chair springed up and I fell down the back of the chair. So, okay. um, yeah, that's one of my Duran Duran memories. But I've never 
had Simon Le Bon at my party like somebody has missing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, confession, full disclosure. Um, I had a small dinner party when I left EastEnders and Simon Le Bon told me that his mum liked EastEnders. So I was having some of my, fr- my cast friends over. There was Peter Dean, Letitia Dean and her then boyfriend and um, Vanessa Redgrave flew in as well. And She's such a name dropper. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, you wouldn't look at it. She's such a lovely lady. She walks around very quietly. I mean, oh, as Simon and Yasmin pop round for tea the other day, not and I had Yasmin. a little, and and then not, not that's not the top of it. Let's just add in Vanessa Redgrave. I mean, Dame Vanessa Redgrave as well. You know, nothing much. How's your dinner party, Susanna? Are they very similar? Yeah. Totally similar, yeah. Um, yeah, Nick Rhodes bobbed around. Yeah. Of course, you know, the Queen sometimes bobs in, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, I wake like up I when I have those dinner party dreams as well. <laughs> Listen, that was a memorable one, Sam and uh, Sam and Suzanne. Um, and it's the one and only time that they all came round in that combination. Yeah, because the next day it was, you know... Sir Richard Branson, and then yeah. it was like David Attenborough. So I, I forgot wish. about that party. I wish, I wish, I wish. No, but it was yeah. really nice. Um, um, and and Lyman, Simon Lebon's mum was really nice, and they were all very polite, and they got along with each other, just small. And uh, um, I enjoyed myself. But back to you, Suzanne. We yeah, I'm you. a Curry fan. Are I'm you? a Curry fan, so I don't get all these EastEnders references being a being a northern girl i was gonna say Um, sticking to your northern roots there (laughs) absolutely but however i'm gonna name drop i'm gonna name drop so um i was i volunteer with a charity called headway and ben price who played nick Tilsley. what does does headway do suzanne headway it's a charity that supports people who've had brain injury and their family yeah and Ben Price's character, Nick Tilsley, sustains a serious brain injury. And ben to Price his from credit, Cor- Coronation yeah. Street. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. thanks for to- translating because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Coronation <laughs> Street is one of the most popular soaps in the world on, I, I, on, I, on ITV. Okay, I get that, but I've never seen it. <laughs> you're missing out, Sam. You're missing out. Anyway, Ben Price came and visited our headway group in Preston and spent a lot of time talking to the members about how their brain injury has impacted them. Um, and, you know, I think he's done a pretty good job because in the past, I'm a, I'm a big Corey fan, but in, in the past, I think half of the streets have had some sort of brain injury. It's, a, it's quite a dangerous place to be for a little cobble street in Manchester. Um, so I think I should have a little cameo in, in Coronation Street as, as the headway coordinator or something like that because they, uh, they clearly need it. I agree, and you wouldn't have to travel far as you, you come from Wigan, don't you? Not far. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But we are, yeah, as, as we're sort of getting to this new normal time, we're, we're trying to explore ways of opening our headway group and uh, it's, it's proving quite challenging for people and I think we're we talk about people who are clinically vulnerable but we're kind of missing out on the people who live with anxiety anyway and when we've had was it 15 16 months now that all this has been going on um if, if you've lived at home kept yourself to yourself the thought of the world opening up 
it's actually quite scary for a lot of people, even if they're not clinically vulnerable. So I think we need to just be quite mindful, really, that it's it's a difficult time for people as well. That's right. And, and with things opening up uh, here in England, Suzanne, how do you feel, how, how do you think uh, things are from your perspective as a psychologist? I think it's great for some people and tricky for others. So I think the ones who it's tricky for them, I would say look at using the strategies that you use anyway. You don't have to have a all or nothing approach to being in and out of the house. So it could be that you go into the supermarkets and you go at the times that it's quiet. You can chat with your employer about when's the right time for you to go back into the office. You don't have to suddenly turn on socialising again just because Boris has, has said so. You can certainly look at keeping some of your restrictions in place if that makes you feel comfortable and gradually build up. We call it graded activity. And graded activity, right. Yeah, so it's building things up very slowly as opposed to just doing a, right, okay, the world's back to normal. Thank you. And uh, talking about graded activity, you're going to tell us after the next track how you uh, graded your your interest in brain brain work and uh, this mysterious part of the body, right? I know yeah. nothing about brains. And I'm not sure there's much in my brain, actually. So you can tell, uh, tell us how you got started. But before that, tell us tell us about the next song and why it's important to you. Well, the next song just really reminds me of being a student. So I have memories of the song Sit Down by James. And I just have memories of being in the pub, kind of dancing to this. And when I say dancing, the dance actually involved crouching down on the floor in a kind of seated position. So uh, I think my thighs were in better shape then and I could, could do it for most of the song. But, Suzanne, uh, I thought this was the uh, analogy to the end of your story of Duran Duran, where you were standing up on a chair and someone shouting at the back, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> Good one, Sam. Good one. Here we go with uh, uh, sit down. So... Hope everybody's sitting down with this.
themselves ridiculous Sit out next to me In love and fear and hate and tears In love and fear and hate and tears In love and fear and hate and tears In love and fear and Sit Down by James, and that's reminding Suzanne Guest, my guest today, um, about her uni days. So tell us more, Suzanne. How did you get involved in studying this mysterious organ in our bodies? I'm talking about what's inside, inside our skulls. Yeah, I got interested in brain injury when I was at university. So I'd initially studied psychology and assumed that that just meant working with people with mental health problems. And the great thing about psychology is it's a really broad subject that can cover lots of different areas. But I had some lectures in my third year, um, and the thing that actually got me really interested was one person, and it was a case study of a man who's called Henry Malaysen, but at the time he was known as HM because um, he he was still alive. And he was a man who had had part of his brain called the hippocampus removed. And this was due to epilepsy. And as a result, he was unable to lay down any new memories for the rest of his life. So he could remember pre-injury memories, but nothing new at all. And it just struck me as being horrific. And the... I suppose the cruelty of brain injury is that your IQ remains intact. So somebody can be incredibly bright, Mm -hmm. but also suffer in in ways, in quite an extreme way. And I've got a quite a good memory. And the thought of not being able to remember things just horrified me. And that started me on the journey of working with people with brain injury. So what were your, what strategies did you think of to improve the memory? Because I mean, it's something I struggle with because especially when I've been through a time of stress and maybe some of some of the people out there think feel feel this from time to time as well. Like, I actually can't remember things. And it's really embarrassing. Yesterday I was in the gym um, at ballet class and I, there's a, a girl in there I really, really like in ballet class as a friend. And I talk to her every time, but I keep forgetting her name. It's Roxanne. And until I looked it up in my mobile, then I said, oh, it's good to see you, Roxanne, and pretend I'd never forgotten. But things like that, Suzanne. Well, you've just, you've just described a really good strategy. Mobiles are actually very good ways of aiding your memory. So, for example, people after a brain injury, maybe they'll struggle to take medication because they forget. So... 
we get people to put prompts in their mobile phone that would prompt at the time that you need to take medication. Some people use the notes sections in the phone. It could be that if you know that you struggle with names and faces, in your contact section of your phone, you put photographs of people in as well, so that will appear and help jog your memory. So I think there's a lot of ways after a brain injury, there can be things like, I I think pen and paper is a really good strategy, so making sure that you make notes everywhere. Um, My mum's got a really good memory and I think taught me a lot of strategies without realising that she was doing it because it comes quite natural to her. So, you know, my mum's, I'll not say her age, she'll kill me, but um, (laughs) she she still remembers people's, Um, mobile numbers she knows people's mobile numbers off the top of her head and what she does is that she links them to other things so for example one of the numbers she knows has got 88 in so she'll say two fat ladies as the the bingo um calling thing or she will link things to her house number or the year somebody was born or all those kind of things And what that does is it helps you store it better in your memory. You've got more ways of getting that information out. Um, There's also other ways of encoding information, which means like storing the information. So, and again, this is something from my mum, but she will say things like, I'll tell you so I won't forget. And she's not actually asking you to remind her, but she quite naturally knows that if she speaks the information, it helps her remember it. So there's lots of different ways of, rather than just writing it down, maybe speak out loud, make a voice note in your phone. There's lots of, of ways that you can help retrieve information. Thanks for that, Suzanne. I just remembered where I am, actually. I'm in the studio at River Radio, and uh, I'm with Sam City, who's producing me, and you're my guest, Suzanne Guest. Mm-hmm. And um, and where we've got a new title for the show for this week, it's called the missing question, as in missing question, and that the missing question is what you're answering right now about how our brains work and how you can help us. Um, and uh, and we're going to be talking in a minute about motivational speakers and how whether it's true that food can help our memories, all the stuff that the health people put out i don't know sam did you have something you wanted to say there no i was going to say actually suzanne do we need to remember as much um i've got two stories on that one one my um father-in-law is 90 and we joke with him that you know he forgets things only because his brain's so full of other things that he's had to so he's got to forget a few things to add a few more things in so that's the one thing we keep telling him because he's got a brain full of memories Uh, and the other one though is more seriously is google clearly is a way that most people now you know you're at a dinner party how far is the moon from the earth you know you don't remember it you google it right yeah so so much of what we used to retain as numbers i know probably as a child i had three or four numbers i had to remember because i had my 50p and i was going to a call box and i had to get my mum and dad no mobile phones in those days so we had to remember things and what I'm finding now is actually you don't have to remember things just as Rani said a minute ago she can go to a mobile phone a lot of the information's to hand um, 
what does that mean do you think about brain retention and the way that we're we're adapting as or evolving as humans because we're not using that receptive nature of retaining information to regurgitate we're we're using contextual information so the idea is we have we know the information's there somewhere we we fetch it out and then we reuse it as opposed to in the past having to remember everything first well, I think that's a really interesting point. So, for example, things like remembering phone numbers. I, I remember very few phone numbers because they're stored in my phone. Um, but if you look at people who've achieved great things like Steve Jobs, they did things like they would wear the same clothes every day because it would limit their decisions of what they had to make every day. Mm-hmm. And and it's the same kind of, of strategy, I suppose, that you can use other um, or gain more knowledge or more in-depth knowledge of things. So, for example, when you're studying something, you still need to be able to apply that knowledge. And sometimes it might be that you might need to, say, look a formula up if you're, say, doing some maths or whatever. But actually, you would still need to retain how you apply that that mm-hmm. work. Yeah. So it, it's, I suppose it's like an almost a bit of an extension of our brain in a way that we've got Google or our mobiles that we can use it to augment what what we've already got. But I think the real genius, there's no computer as clever as the human brain. And the real genius is applying that knowledge in a way that a human can. Yeah, I mean, we're moving to something called the singularity, which is man and machine <laughs> melding. I mean, and, and it is happening. You said it now, you know, your mobile phone, you, you talk to anyone now, they have their mobile phone 24-7 with them, right? It's, it's fundamentally, we have the machine is just external to the body right now. And it's only a matter of time before that machine is internal to our body. And in fact, Elon Musk has got a company in the USA which is actually building an internalised computer for the human body. Um, So the singularity is coming. It's whether people will find it too creepy and too worrying that something or someone might control you because you've now got something inside your body. But we fundamentally are tracked by our ISPs. If you go to your phone, it's it's a very frightening thing. What's an ISP, Sam? Your internet service provider. Right. You can literally go to your phone and it will show you every location that you've been on with your phone. Your phone is con- constantly tracking your location. Wow. wow. So, um, S- something, yeah, something that I started doing... Cause I- I, I don't think I've got a particularly great attention span at the best of times. Sorry, what did you say? <laughs> That's me. And I find that when I'm watching the telly, it's so easy to pick my phone up and then I'm rewinding the telly because I've missed things. So I have started putting my phone out of arm's reach when I'm watching something so I can actually absorb things better and concentrate. Mm. Because there is, I think you can just be bombarded with too much information and you're not appreciating what's going on in the world because you're just being bombarded with nonsense memes on Facebook. It's so addictive, isn't it? And then talking about nonsense, you're going to talk to us after the song about, you know, um, some nonsense and what's real and what what's uh, a bit fake, perhaps, to put it quite blandly. But I'm really excited to hear you tell me about that and also about food. Can I, yeah. can I improve my brain with, with food? I love food. So uh, what? tell me why you've chosen M-People. 
And People, um, it's one of those songs that I just think it's very associated with motivational speakers. So they always seem to play Search for the Hero as the motivational speaker is doing that run up to the stage where the heels go really high, but they're not actually going any faster. So it's just one of those songs that make, I, I do actually like the song, but because of motivational speakers, I kind of cringe a little bit. Okay, here's Search for the Hero.
Search for the Hero by M People. Suzanne Guest, my guest today on River Radio's The uh, Missing Question, uh, smiling psychologist, is going to tell me about motivational speakers. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things I have a little bit of a bugbear with. So I spent a long time training. I did a three-year degree, two-year master's, two-year supervised practice, and then had to do a lot of um, continual professional development. And motivational speakers can be anybody. So I, I was in a, a webinar a couple of weeks ago, and their advice was that you could be a coach or inspirational if you could just have a chat with your 20-year-old self. And I just think it's really, really dangerous. And I think some things are well-intentioned and some things are maybe just money-making schemes. But anybody can actually call themselves a psychologist or a therapist. They're not protected titles. Yeah, So at the beginning, yeah, sorry. I could. Yes. So there is nothing illegal about saying you've been to the University of Life and calling yourself a psychologist. So I think it's important to sort of understand people who are well-trained and what that means and the people who maybe have just got very good presentation skills but actually not very much content. That's right. I mean, it is quite dangerous because people don't know that, you know, anybody can call themselves a therapist or a psychologist and these are people, uh, you know, I felt very vulnerable in the past and, and you know, that all of us, I hope, will we'll realise that at some point we feel vulnerable and mm. then we search for a therapist and we think we're in the UK, you know, there aren't that many charlatans around. But it's quite dangerous because if you are vulnerable um, and, you know, ready to do anything perhaps, you know, you're looking for guidance and you see this title therapist or counsellor and you're, you're really looking for solutions, you know, that's a very, very... Um, dangerous position to be in without knowing it absolutely and I think as somebody who's qualified you spend a lot of time looking at what your own issues are at at transference which is about putting your projections of something onto other people and people who can be a motivational speaker maybe have had no training at all or had a few days worth of training and they don't look at the in-depth work that would go into somebody who's trained for years. A really, an example that sticks out in my mind is that I can remember watching somebody claim that he cured somebody's depression by getting her to look up because apparently it is impossible to be depressed whilst you're looking up. Right. For me... Sorry. No, go on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I just think at my times of utter despair, I... Sorry, sorry. Sorry. That's, that's okay. She's, fiddling with, she's just fiddling with buttons. I am listening <laughs> to you. I am listening to you. I'm trying to be grown up and get ahead and uh, trying to remember to what Sam has told me. So, so uh, oh, sorry don't, about that. Don't grow up. It's a trap. Um, so... When I'm in my times of utter despair, I look at the moon and it's just ridiculous to assume that something like looking up would cure depression. And the massive danger is that if somebody stops taking antidepressants really suddenly, 
because they believe that they're looking up has cured their depression, you can actually become suicidal. And you need to know what you don't know. And as, as therapists, I think, we, who are qualified, you get very good at knowing where your boundaries are or, or you should do. Um, there's Here comes the science bit. There's a theory called the Dunning-Kruger mm-hmm. theory. And Dunning-Kruger. What that, yes, Dunning-Kruger. And it talks about how people with a little bit of knowledge are actually more confident in their knowledge than people who have got more knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that sounds counterintuitive, but the thing is, I think when you study a subject like the brain or brain injury, what you learn is there's so much that you just don't know. Mm. And people who've had a few days worth of training, they don't necessarily know what they don't know. So they are very full of, uh, of confidence. Now you're really Googleable and searchable on the internet um, because there are other, there are other internet search engines available, of course. Um, and so how can I tell the difference between you and somebody who isn't really qualified, because you are in the press a lot. People are always quoting you and in profession magazines and you've been on telly and you're on the radio and so on. So, um, but how can I tell the difference between somebody like you and another so-called psychologist whose, whose title comes up as a psychologist? Well, we, there's, there's two routes that you can go down. So there is the British Psychological Society and they have a list of chartered members. So you could look at, at the British Psychological Society. And then also we have a regulatory body, which is the HCPC, Healthcare as Professionals Councils. And they would have registered psychologists on there. So I would suggest if you are looking for somebody who's a psychologist to look at one of those two places. The HCPC also regulates people like physiotherapists and, and dietitians, people like that. So the trick is to look for a registered psychologist as opposed, or a registered therapist or a registered psychotherapist yes. as opposed to somebody who isn't registered. And now tell yes. me, we're going to be moving to uh, a bit of sport next as we come up to the top of the hour. Um, and uh, uh, But you were, you, you've uh, met Keith from... Uh, from the group that we're going to be having on in a bit, haven't you? Yes, Mrs. I know everybody. See, I've met. <laughs> I, I meet pop stars too. Um, of yeah, you I do. used of to work uh, on a project in Liverpool that supported people with disabilities to access employment. And Keith, who was in the farm, used to do guitar lessons at a bridge project that was across the road from. So didn't quite get into my dinner party, but yeah, I'm I'm mingling with pop stars too. Of course, of course. And so is Sam here, Sam, our producer. He knows absolutely everybody in the planet. And they all seem to live around here, actually, or or near his house. I see him bumping into them on the street, you know, just as we're coming into the studio. Sam, are you going to deny what I'm saying? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we do do have a... uh, strangely large number of stars from Russell Russell Brand to Tom uh, Heston Blumenthal to Tom Kerridge to Chris Evans. It's just, yeah, it's getting very common around here now having celebrities, you know, it's, it's quite nice having masks. We don't, we don't recognise them with masks on now. Quite funny, really. We've come out of the studio, uh, Suzanne, and um, Sam's taken a certain person to, for a cup of coffee. Haven't you, Sam? I have. Who's that? No, come on. Amazon. 
Oh yes, yeah, he's the chief economist. Yeah, so. Sam was in, and then <laughs> and then as I was coming into the studio the other day, um, Sam was just stood on the, stood on the roadside uh, talking to a friend of his who just happens to be um, somebody who's very tranquil. Oh, he runs calm. Yes, yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's uh, Michael Acton Smith. So uh, he lives in Marlow uh, and runs go. the app Calm, which is worth a lot of money. Yes. So, see, Suzanne, you may be near Manchester and near the BBC and ITV, which likes you very, which like you very much, and uh, call you in, and uh, we'll call you in more and more. I think as as you get more and more famous. I'm going to do a quick test on Suzanne to see if she's a real mank or she's a pretend mank. Okay, Suzanne. I'm a Wigan. I'm a Wigan girl. I'm okay. Not a mank. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was going to say, are you a red or a blue? Because that always tells which side of the town you're from. Well, it would be blue, but it would be blue for Wigan Athletic. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we? Shall we go to the farm now? Shall we? Uh, shall we have a little yeah. listen? Great.
the farm uh, there, and uh, Sam and uh, Sam's going to be. Uh, um, he's told me he's, he's going to be leaving me in a minute, so I'm going to be flying solo, Suzanne. Um, but uh, uh, I hope uh, I hope we stay on air. You are listening to River Radio, the missing question, the missing question that Suzanne Guest is answering today, our special guest about how she copes how she helps people who have brain injuries and we just got to the point before the song there about um sport we were starting to talk about sport and um uh, or an introduction to sport and 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 mental injury mental health and sport that obviously has been in the news recently with the danish player uh, christian eriksson suffering that horrendous fall uh, a few weeks ago that we spoke of here on the show um, and Suzanne, your thoughts? Well, I think I'm in the rare position. I'm really not sporty at all, but I'm in the rare position that I actually really like Gareth Southgate. I think one of the real positive things that I've seen in this tournament and the World Cup is that he's very keen on looking after the mental health of the players. And it's paying off. So I think in the past we've maybe seen mental health has been a bit woke and a bit political correctness gone mad. But actually, we've got a manager who's prioritising mental health with the players and they've gone farther than they've ever done for, or the men's team have gone farther in the Euros than any team have gone before. So I'm, I'm pleased to see things in that way. From a brain injury point of view, there has been some controversy uh, with one of the French players, Benjamin Pavard. So he who, was actually... Who, who does he play for? Uh, for France. Okay. And he was knocked unconscious on the pitch and still went back on. And Headway, the brain injury charity that I, I volunteer with, have got lots of protocols around concussion and at the time if somebody's been knocked out they aren't capable of making the decision themselves whether or not they should go back on the pitch so he should have been removed from the pitch I feel really strongly about this I think footballers are role models and you know we hold them over the coals if they do something wrong if they may be a bit attracted to older women um or you know get get very drunk um and yet the bodies that look after footballers don't seem to be treating them correctly. So I think it's UEFA, but I'm not 100% sure. But the, the body that, that was looking after that competition don't, don't seem to think that anything's been done incorrectly. Now, we know more and more about concussions now, and people can die from what seems like a minor brain injury. And also people can end up with lifelong problems as a result of, of a concussion. So my concern, A, is for people like Benson and Pavard, but also for the 10 and 11-year-old players who are playing on a Sunday morning and they think that it's okay to go back on the pitch. They think it's tough to go back on the pitch after they've been knocked unconscious. It's, for me, we need to change the narrative around this. And Headway have got a phrase, which is, is if in doubt, sit them out. Mm. It's not worth lifelong problems just to look tough on a, on a football pitch. 
But that is the problem, Suzanne. It's a male macho thing. Uh, I used to play rugby. You know, mm-hmm. you you would go off, you know, with an arm hanging off your back. Yeah. You know, you, you wouldn't go off. I mean, and and with the footballers, it's very much, well, they're not as macho, but, you know, obviously they, they, they will still, you know, pretend to man up. Now, what's been interesting, and I don't know if you read this, but the, uh, I think the Premier League, and I'm certain I read it this recently, are actually going to take the whole issue out of the hands of the players and the managers and have an independent doctor who makes the decision. Now, in rugby, that's already the case. So there was an independent doctor in rugby who will make Mm -hmm. that call and the managers and the players cannot override it. So if the doctor says in rugby, no, I'm sorry, you have concussion, you are coming off. There is no, but I just, I'm okay. Give me the magic water sponge. I'll be fine, yeah. um, which yeah. would have been done in the past. So, Yeah, I, I just think it's so vital because, as I say, they're role models for the 10 and 11-year-olds. And if they're seeing that people are being taken off the pitch for the sake of their health, hopefully that will become more normal. Because um, they're talking about having um, concussion substitutes as well, aren't they? So people can be substituted when somebody's been taken off the pitch ill as well. Yeah, so, but- I think I think the, the, the challenge is not at the elite level. This is what worries me more. It's what you said about schoolboy level uh, yeah. and then um, what we call Sunday Park League level. That's mm-hmm. where I think the issue won't come in because there won't be an independent doctor. I mean, they, they, yeah. they struggle to get a referee, let alone a doctor down there. Um, and so it is going to be, you know, one of those moments where, you know, hopefully attitudes will change where it doesn't become, you know, stop, you know, be a man is the old expression. Be a man, grow up, you know, harden up, you know, it's just a knock on the head. What are you worried about? Get on with it. Um, yeah. You know, all of those expressions. And, and, you know, as as an extreme example, Natasha Richardson, who who was Liam Neeson's wife, Mm -hmm. she died from concussion. So she was injured skiing and didn't get medical help and died a few hours later. So I think what we sometimes think of as being health and safety gone mad is actually really serious. And I think it's a start with the premiership players because they are hopefully setting better examples to the Sunday league players, the the, the kids who are, are playing at the weekend as well. It, it's an attitude that we've just got to change around our brains, the, the pressures, they control everything that we do and, and we need to look after them. We're coming up to the top of the hour, Suzanne, and we can carry on talking about this on, on the missing question in the next hour here on River Radio with special guest Suzanne Guest. Um, but you were saying that if we if we have a concussion, if we have a knock and we, f- we fall to the floor, we don't necessarily have to lose consciousness. And it's happened to me twice in the gym. We maybe have to carry this on again later when we'll probably have to stop the conversation or break it in between. But um, I've fallen off a treadmill twice, a moving treadmill, and I've hit my head and... Um, my neurophysio uh, has said to me that you've, I mean, I didn't lose consciousness. So the first aiders in the gym said there's maybe no need to, to go to the doctor or go to emergency or anything. I was feeling really bad and really woozy. 
And um, when I rang up my GP, she said, I can't be having you in here, Ronnie, if you've just had a fall in the gym every time, you know. So she kind of was dismissive. But it actually took me about 11 months to recover from the second fall. And I'm really, really scared of falling again now. So I'm yeah. super cautious. Well, that, well, it sounds like what you've had is post-concussion syndrome. And incidentally, most of the people I do work with have had, been involved in car crashes. But the biggest cause of brain injury in this country is actually falls. It's not necessarily anything really dramatic. It's older people who are falling over, uh, typically. But I've, I've worked with people who've fallen downstairs and had quite severe brain injuries. So we do need to take falling more seriously. So what should and, we and, do, and Suzanne, when we do fall, like, like I did in the gym twice? It is worth, if you're feeling quite poorly, it is worth getting either ringing 111. We're in slightly different times at the moment, aren't yes. we, because of COVID and a bit worried of going to the hospital. But it could be a case of ringing 111 and getting some medical advice. Or if you're feeling poorly, go to a and and just get yourself checked out. Yeah. Yeah, I'll remember that. I hope I doesn't. I don't fall again. I'm training to uh, try and avoid uh, avoid falling. But um, and you and after the break, you're going to tell us about um, uh, some Wimbledon players. And I'd really like to talk to you about how Gareth Southgate does his, um, you know, what he does with the with the players, uh, the England players. You know what he's because there has been a great sense of team playing, and of course a backlash after the final. You know, there's been yes. awful stuff. And I heard him saying that he was going to go, uh, the players have to go back to their own, their home teams, but that all the bodies were going to be working together so that the players who had suffered abuse in the wake of missing penalties and, and their, their ancestral origins, mm -hmm. racial abuse, um, were going to get some support. So spend a minute or so telling us about that then. Yeah, I, I just think Gareth Southgate has been amazing in the way that he's looked after the team. And the players are saying that he's somebody who spends time talking to players before matches. I really loved about him that he does spend time comforting the people who maybe miss penalties. And also, I've seen him with teams from the other side who England have knocked out and he's got his hand on the shoulder of it was a Danish player he's a good man I like Gary Southgate I think he's very human and I think his lovely qualities are paying off because England's men's team are getting further than they've done in years so I, I think he's a he's he's very good and again a good role model in in mental health support so how do you think he can trickle down you know, away from all the facilities of the of what the England team have? It's about, I, I believe that if you think years ago, people didn't necessarily take control of their physical health. It was something their doctor did. And now we know to exercise and eat properly. And I think mental health is now going down that route. So you have mental health and it's something that you look after. And when we've got sports people who are being quite vocal about how they need to look after their mental health, whether it's taking breaks from social media or talking to friends or, or making sure they get good sleep, those type of things, I think when we see that, it's really important. We interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin. 
River Radio has arrived. Beautiful. Tell your friends. But don't forget to wear your mask. That's right. <laughs> now to continue with the tape recording. Here we are on River Radio.